we are out here standing up for women's rights because we believe that women's rights are human rights. We stand up for equity and equality in communities of color. We stand up for immigrants, union workers, and we stand for matters concerning environmental justice. We stand against the violence and exploitation of any and every vulnerable and marginalized population. We stand for justice. And when we stand up, we show up and we speak up. Hey, this is Reverend Leslie. I'm the Minister of Social Justice at Community of Hope AME Church, and I want to bring you greetings on behalf of our pastor, Reverend Tony Lee, and together we want to welcome you to another edition of the Hope Activism Institute. If you tuned in last week, then you know that we were here with Jay Quest talking about music in the movement. He was talking to us about how music has shaped the movement, how music has moved the movement, and this week we're going even deeper. He's going to talk to us about how music has opened doors and provided bridges for him to do work in the community. Don't go anywhere, stay right there. You've been doing work locally, you've been doing work globally around the work of justice. Tell us, share, share with us what you've been um, doing. Well, we're, I would say uh, we are a sanctuary congregation. And so in terms of the immigration issue and immigration justice, that that's something that's really important to us. And that's been uh, probably some of our oldest work that we've done for, for close to 40 years now. Uh, welcoming immigrants in that space who are facing deportation and who are seeking asylum and making sure that they have space uh, where they can be safe and space where if they need to to hang out for a few days, you know, to, to figure some things out, uh, that our building is going to be a ministry for them. Uh, but also, I think once 2014 happened and Black Lives Matter really began to become a phrase and a consciousness uh, across the city, uh, we we began to discern how we can be a part of that movement in a meaningful way, not only with our building being a ministry, I say that a lot, um, but and, and that has been the case in terms of allowing groups to come and meet and inviting them to come and do their thing and, and us getting out of their way. Sometimes that's the best way a church can be an ally with groups that feel harmed, you know, is to say, hey, we're not going to do the whole theology thing right now just come use our building because we know you need some space, you know, and, and let's build this relationship. Let's build this partnership. Uh, for us working with young people across the South side of Chicago, where you all might know that the violence uh, epidemic, you know, we live in several epidemics and pandemics here on the South side of Chicago, as all black people across this nation do. And so working to figure out how we can be more loving to them. And, and one of the things that came out of that was hearing them talk about access to healthcare. Mm. They came up with this issue and said, you know, how come if you get shot on the north side, you five minutes from a hospital, but if you get shot on the south side, you 20 minutes from a hospital. Wow. What's that about, right? The young folks said this because they had lost one of their own. Um, in 2010, Damian Turner got shot. He, was, he had to drive past hospitals that didn't have the appropriate equipment. And by the time he got to where he was, where he could be treated, for this gunshot when he passed away. And so having a level one trauma center on the south side of Chicago, they began to, to cry out uh, was, an was an issue that was, it was a matter of life and death, literally. And so for us as a church, the moment I heard about that issue, it's like we got right behind them and, and have been talking about healthcare and, and have been a, for years now, part of the fight for equity within health access to healthcare. 
and uh, a couple years ago won the fight for a level one trauma center on the south side of Chicago. And so uh, to, to celebrate that both as activists and church working together to make that happen uh, really has been able to show the possibilities of that relationship. Uh, when it is regarded mutually, when we go in this thing as equals and, and listen to one another. And so I, I would say, you know, between immigration and uh, uh, healthcare justice and fighting violence on the South Side, it's, it's more than enough to keep our hands full every day. Uh, is is more work to be done, just like I'm sure whoever's watching right now, you know, you're in a congregation that is looking to, to get at issues and figure out how to, how do we end this? How do we stop this? And, and there are folks, this is the one thing I would say, there are folks out there who are doing this work right now. And churches sometimes make the mistake of thinking we have to invent that. We got to create a ministry for this. Not, not always. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes, yes. But not always. Sometimes, usually there are going to be folks out there doing the work. We need to go be partners, allies, accomplices, you know, what have you, and figure out how we can be side by side with those folks, better resourcing them and adding to their capacity because they know the issue probably better than we do. Absolutely. So you hit on some key points in that story. So I just kind of want to tease out some of the steps that you took. Um, to get to the big win in terms of bringing the trauma center to the, the community in need, right? So the very first thing you talked about was actually sitting with the people who were impacted and kind of hearing their story and then being what we call being the voice to the voices, helping to champion that cause and bring and seeing it through to resolution. Um, you talked about a piece where you're building allyship and, and not just assuming that you have to start from you know ground zero, but partnering with people who've been in the fight for a long time, right? And just sometimes you're, what I've learned is that your presence um, just helps to elevate and amplify the message that they've been working on um, for a really long time. So you, we talked about the allyship. What's another step that you guys took to help you get to the win in this process? Well, I think the, the most important piece of all of this, and it, it includes those things that you just named, but overarching all of that is really just the ability to be led. Like a lot of times as church, we see ourselves as leaders. Uh, we wanna be the leaders of this, but the ability to be led, to listen to those folks who are most affected and, this, and, the, and the really, and not to say, here's what we wanna do for you, but to ask, what do you need from us? Right. How do you think we can be most helpful? And that was when they told us, oh, well, we've been trying to talk to the University of Chicago for this long and all of this. And like, we're on the campus of the University of Chicago. I know these people like, but you want to talk to them? Come on, let's go do this. Right. Like, to, and, and then was able to, to leverage my standing to be able to help them have a different kind of conversation, which resulted in those negotiations. But it's, it really is about like, not just saying like, I'm going to lift your voice up, like, if that's what you want, that's what I'm gonna do. But sometimes, like, just like you said, especially when the relationship was just starting and we were saying, well, what can we do? How can we be part of this? I, I you know, we got some churches who really want to be uh, on the right side of history. We know it's some knuckleheads out here, but we want to do the right thing. And, and their answer constantly to us and to me was show up, mm -hmm. show up. We're going to have a march, show up. You're not going to say anything, right? Just show up. Your presence, your witness can make a difference. Yeah. And so we did that. 
And I did that to just show up and to just be there over and over again until they built trust and the relationship grew to a place where we could have a different kind of conversation. Not just, hey, do you want to meet in our building? But is there anything we can offer to this movement from a strategic side? Uh, because sometimes the best thing a church can do is not going to be strategic. It's going to be on the symbolic action side. It's going to be showing up to that march and that protest. It's going to be signing that petition. It's going to be bringing people to the action. Uh, and that's critical as well. But to be led by those, uh, we don't have to assume what they need. We can ask, right. you know, we can ask. And when we hear and when they answer, we can say, hey, does this align with our values? Okay, it might make us a little uncomfortable. Okay, but like, this is who we need to be right now. And, and Jesus is always challenging the disciples to move into a place of discomfort. Step out of the boat, Peter. You know, all, you feed. Oh, they hungry. It's 5,000 people. They hungry. Okay, you go feed them. You know, like always to move into these spaces where they've never been, where they don't know if they can, and that then when they commit, then God shows up and, and provides the increase. Why they got to be so uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> because that's where the new is. The new is oh in the uncomfortable, goodness. you know, yeah. and, and we're trying, what we're trying to do has not been done. Our ancestors don't know this freedom, mm. you know, like none of them ever have. So it's not like we can take their model. We can take their lessons. We can take their wisdom, but we don't know how this works. Every second that people of color have been, that black folks have been in America, we have been in detainment. We have been in a state of dehumanization. And so like, it's gotta be new. It's gotta be, whatever we do is gonna have to be a part of the wisdom of the past, those lessons, those experiences, those stories brought together with the move of the spirit that's happening in the present right now through us, with us, through others working together. And that's going to take us somewhere we've not been before. That's scary. That's scary. Very scary. I'm here to tell but you. Think, like, <laughs> but more than, more than the, what is, what we must as people of faith be able to do is recognize that behind the fear of it, that there's so much beauty and possibility, you know, and what we are doing. And that if we can, if we can be resilient in this and be courageous in this and not give in to our fear, it's not that we're not going to feel the fear, but when we give in to the fear is when we keep replaying these cycles of history. We cannot give in to the fear. We have an opportunity right now uh, that we must seize. Yeah. You know, I was um, talking to Reverend Green uh, one of your one of your Morehouse brothers just last week we just did an episode um, where he was talking to us about Dr. King's uh, six steps to nonviolent uh, social change and I thought it was very interesting um, that in his uh, steps the steps that he outlined one of the steps that he talked about was remaining committed yeah. and I think that that falls right in alignment with what you're talking about right now is that in the face of fear you may not know what's on the other side of that, but you have to remain committed to the cause 
Um, because really, at, what's at stake in every situation, I don't care whether it's a local issue that you're doing in your community, whether it's a national issue that you're addressing, whether it's a global issue, but when you're talking about social justice work, at the heart of every issue is liberation and it's freedom. And freedom, um, if we, we can you know, turn the pages of the history books, freedom has never come without a cost, right? It's never come without a cost. So I wanted to um, just ask you a question in that vein, that understanding that there are so many people that have paved the way before us, before we got to this space. Who is one of the civil rights leaders that's actually shaped uh, and influenced your ministry around this work? Um, I, would, I would say probably most influential is Howard Thurman, description of the inward journey and how he tells the story of being a mystic as a Christian and really finding God within and that being able to hold on to that peace of God within, giving him the courage to, to face everything that happens uh, around us and outside of us um, has really been profound for me and kept me in moments of fear like we just talked about. Like, to be able to see God not in the results, but to see God in the work um, and to see God in the moment of commitment and to see God in the suffering. Our, um, uh, you know, Thurman has, has given that gift to, to so many people, not only myself and, and probably Stephen, but, but to Martin Luther King, you know, who uh, he, he gave him the story of Gandhi and and help move him towards that understanding of nonviolent uh, social action, you know, and so uh, he's one of those figures who was widely known in in the early 20th century and is less so now. Uh, I'm starting to hear his name a little bit more and more quotes because I mean Thurman is eminently quotable. Like the, you just go Howard Thurman quotes on whatever your search engine is, and it like you're just gonna be like, dang, dang, wow, wow, you know, like, like I gotta read some of this, you know. But like, like he's just one of those figures that was in the background for so many people. And and then I, I think alongside Thurman, there were so many women who. Uh, had the fish fry dinner, you know, at the church after the march, you know, or or rode the bus or drove the bus that people were getting on, or the van that people were getting on, or the pickup truck that people were getting on when they uh, weren't riding the bus during the Montgomery boycott. You know that there are so many people who, by all rights, had no place in the movement but found a place yeah. to use what they had. Like, listen, this I can cook, all right? So here's what I'm gonna do. I can drive, here's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. You know, and, and for the most part, when you hear those stories, those are women, you know? Those are young people. Those are like the John Lewis's, right? Like, uh, these are these folks who just said, I'm, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna commit, and we're gonna figure this out. And, and it is from them collectively that the power began to grow and swell to such a point where it could be it could no longer be ignored you know and so yeah. so it's those figures too it's the barrett rustins and the fanny Lou's and the um, that's my favorite she's my favorite yeah I, and, yeah you and, know and, like, yeah. one of one of the reasons mahalia you <laughs> yeah. know like mahalia and her music and aretha's music and like um 
you know, Marvin making what's the What's Going On album, you know, like yeah. in, a, in a moment where like he didn't have to make that, you yeah. know what I'm saying? He could, you could just keep making love songs. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's Sam Cooke making Change Gonna Come when, when he doesn't have to make that song. He had already uh, grown to be one of the first black owners of a label you know by not without making those songs by making love songs but to yeah. say no I, this is going to be my contribution to this those I, are my heroes you know yeah, absolutely you know I, I i don't know where to take this conversation because on the one hand i gotta acknowledge fanny lou hamer right she is like my heroine um and one of the reasons that i love her is because she doesn't come with like all of the degrees and all the you know, the air of everything. She is the epitome of what we're talking about today. Somebody who, who, who her, what came out of her in terms of pushing a movement forward came out of her lived experience. Everybody remembers her quote, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. The frustration right. of what she experienced as a black woman living at, in, in America, as a black woman living, you know, up, growing up in the South and trying to make a way for her and her family in the South, that struggle. That's exactly. why I have so much um, reverence and respect for the things that she went through. I mean, we know her in the civil rights movement, right? But I mean, there are some things that she went through as a woman, right? Just we talk about healthcare and reproductive rights and, you know, the way that she was violated just oh, as a Black woman. I mean, those... So, I mean, so yeah, so I, I really appreciate, you know, her being, you know, one of the... I'm gonna call her a mo the mother, one of the mothers of the movement when it talks about, you know, civil rights. But I, I only bring that up to say that, you know, for you out there who are watching, whatever your struggle is, you know, there's purpose in your struggle. And if there is something that, that you find that is impacting you, and it's, it's probably not just impacting you, it's probably impacting a community around you. And this is a time where we want to empower you to be able to do something about it. We want to encourage you to be able to stand up and use your voice and to use the resources and the tools that we're giving you today to make a difference. You are today's Fannie Lou Hamer. You are today's Malcolm X. You are today's Martin Luther King, right? So stop asking the question, where's the next? Because the next is found in you. So the other place that I wanted to go with this, uh, you were talking about about Sam Cooke. Did you see that movie, One Night in Miami? Have you seen it Oh, absolutely. absolutely. What are your thoughts on that? I loved it. I loved it. I, and I, I actually just did a, a video uh, the other day on my social media about it. Like, to me, it, like the power of friendship, you know, like it's, it's about like, just the power of having those people in your life who push you, yeah. you know, and hold you accountable and say, hey, I see this in you, you can do this, yeah. you know? And and we sometimes count on pastors to do that. Um, Malcolm X is that person in that room, but like we can do that for each other, you know? And, and the other thing that I loved about it was that it's a slice of the movement that's so uh, important and so rarely told. Like when we talk about the civil rights movement, we talk about Megger, Martin, Malcolm, you know, the the speakers yeah. that's is who we talk about and the speeches and the quotes um we don't talk about the ways in which muhammad ali was part of that movement in the ring you know we don't talk about the ways in which sam cook was doing that on stage or jim brown on the football field or uh in front of the camera in hollywood you know and to be able to recognize and appreciate artistry and artists 
uh, for what they can offer in a different kind of way. Like that movie really nailed it on the head. Regina King, she did her thing on that. She did her thing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that that movie lifted for me, um, regardless of, you know, your faith tradition, um, I appreciated how they painted the picture of Malcolm being the person that was woke. And it reminded me of, because he, he pierced the consciousness of, you know, those that were in his circle. And so, you know, the according to the way that the movie plays out, there would have never been, uh, you know, a Sam, uh, Sam uh, Cook's, uh, what's, go what's going on? Is that the right song? Oh, uh, Change Gonna Come. Change Gonna Sam Come. Cook. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Sam Cook's Change Gonna Come. There would have never been, you know, that had it not been for a Malcolm X who was, willing to kind of grate the iron there right that was willing that's to provoke right. thought right. and challenge you know where how he showed up not just professionally but how he showed up as a black man in the world that was around him um so that's you right. know and, and so i think that that says something to us too today about how we uh are, are evaluate who's in our circle and and who's you know who is the person in your circle that's keeping you woke are you the person that's informing other people? Who's the influencer in your neighborhood, in your community, in your in your social circle? I don't know. This is just something I thought about um, as no, I thought you, about that, that's the it. roll call. That's it. No, so, that's dope. So I want to end this conversation um, with you giving a word of a message to a word of encouragement to artists out there. We have some powerful artists out there. I'm just believing by faith that we have some people out there who are looking for ways to contribute to the movement. We have some awesome photographers out there. We have some awesome vocalists out there. Um, we have some awesome, awesome instrumentalists. We have poets. Uh, we have dancers. I mean, it, I think that when it comes to, you know, the movement and arts in the movement, our talent is limitless within our community. So for the person that's not the, you know, black power, power to the people, you know, kind of person, what advice would you give to help, you know, the budding artists show up in this movement? I think it is both as simple as and as difficult as being authentic and true to who you are and what you feel like you have to say right now. So often as artists, we worry about like, oh, I got to build a brand. I need, I got to get these followers up. I got to get all this stuff up so that these people pay attention. You know, we keep trying to like climb up the ladder, climb up the ladder. Um, and sometimes we, I think all the time, we just have to be able to say, what do I have to say right now? What do I have to say that feels like um, I could do it in a way that best represents who I am and where my artistry is at this moment right now and get it out to people so that I can be a contributor to what is happening right now? Um, like, like, what do you have to say? And, and I say that to people who are painters and dancers and, and stuff, you know, I'm not just talking about songwriters uh, and singers and rappers and poets, but like we have a message and a way that we can communicate into this and to know that to, to never lose sense of the power of art, whether it's from the inauguration or any other moment where art was able to really create it like it. It's like a it, it, it's a light that pierces the darkness, you know, and pierces through uh, sometimes even through words and pierces through silence and and really can communicate human emotions that that we need to be feeling right now that help remind us of our humanity, whether that's anger, whatever that is. Uh, we got preachers. We need artists. We need artists. We need you. We need what you're doing. 
Um, and we need what you can contribute to all of this because this movement does not have enough art in it. So we waiting for you, seriously. Amen. We're waiting for you. And can I just piggyback on the preacher part? I'm like, we have preachers, but we need preachers who are unafraid to preach the unadulterated truth. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it's one thing. But those folks, but I don't call those folks preachers. Those are, those, like, the preacher is the person who just think that, like, I got to preach in every single moment. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are people with sermons in their hearts and testimonies in their hearts and that, like, and, and are going, like, the way in which your art is going to become known is through the pulpit. Yeah. You know, that that's the way that God is going to use you. But that don't mean you're a preacher. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That mean, yeah. you know how to preach. Yeah. I preach every Sunday. I ain't no preacher, you know? And, the, like, that's that's what I'm talking about in, yeah. the, in that kind of way where people like you like automatically assume or look at a certain kind of voice in preaching and say, oh, this is who I got to be. And I got to raise my voice like this, I, you know, I, and I got to turn it like this. And, and you know, like, no, nah, be authentic. Like what God is saying in your voice, do that. And if it's preaching, if it's rapping, if it's dancing, whatever it is, God will make room for that. The gift will make room for you. Um, and this world will make room for your gifts. I believe it. And I hope it, I hope everybody that's out there that's watching, I hope you receive it. So Pastor Jay, I am so sad that we have to cut this conversation off, but we are going to have to have you back here at the Hope Activism Institute to talk more about, you know, your work in social uh, justice and how we can continue to move together in the body of faith. If you are out there watching, we just want to say thank you so much. Um, for tuning in tonight. And if you've been following us for the last couple of weeks, thank you for being a faithful follower. But look, it's not over. You can meet us right back here next Thursday at 7 p.m. because we're continuing the conversation. We'll be so privileged to have Bishop Reed and Episcopal Supervisor Reed, who's going to be talking to us more about this faith and justice work that's going on within our denomination. I hope all is well, and I look forward to seeing you right here next Thursday at 7 p.m. Peace. Wasn't that an amazing discussion? Once again, we want to thank Pastor Jay for coming through and talking to us about how music has shaped the movement. But guess what, y'all? You know what it is. We meet here every Thursday at 7 o'clock p.m. And let me tell you, you don't want to miss next week because next week we sit down with Bishop Frank Reed and his lovely wife, Episcopal Supervisor Marla Reed. And we will be talking about how from the East Coast to the West Coast, they've been changing the game. Did you know that Bishop Reed was a part of the planning of the Million Man March? I mean, he was a major planner. But that's not all. I can't give it to you now. You got to tune in next Thursday, 7 o'clock. See you then. Yeah.